want you to look at Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. And as you know, we've been uh, working our way through Proverbs in a topical way. We've taught, we've done with the, we've dealt with the fear of the Lord. We've looked at the tongue, and last week we began looking at the issue of pride. You know, pride uh, appears a lot in the book of Proverbs. It appears a lot in the Bible. Um, and it's obviously never, uh, it's hardly ever uh, painted in a good light. There are a couple times in the Corinthian letters that Paul would recognize pride, you know, in a right context. But for the most part, pride is not good. Uh, it's, and and I, what I want to do as we look at this uh, tonight we're going to look at the, at, at the fruit of pride. And so we're not really into the Proverbs per se yet. Uh, we're going to work our way through. If you, uh, if you do a concordance search of Proverbs, you're going to find the, the word proud, uh, pride, haunty, arrogant. It appears over 15 times and is sprinkled throughout. So we'll work our way through those things in regards to pride. Uh, but I wanted to, uh, what I want to do now is I want us to look at a contrast. And I want us to look at a contrast in the opposite, because Lord willing, when we're done with the pride through Proverbs, we're going to look at humility, uh, its opposite through Proverbs as well. But look at Proverbs uh, 16 and 18, and then while you're there, I want, you to, I want you to hold your finger there and look at Isaiah 66. This could very well be one of the most important uh, studies we do, you know, through Proverbs, because of just how bad and how devastating pride is you know, what pride will do or what it can do. And I'll mention more of that on as we go through tonight. But by way of contrast, I want to show you what pride potentially will do to you. It can do two very damaging things. And what it will ultimately do, though, it will forfeit what we're going to read in Isaiah. In Proverbs sixteen eighteen, Solomon writes, Pride goes before destruction. And a haunty spirit or a prideful spirit before a fall. Pride will never produce anything good in your life. Pride will never, never draw you close to God. Pride will do one of two things in verse 18. It will either destroy your life or in the covenant providence or the, the common grace of God, you may fall. But it will never produce anything good in your life. It may lead to your utter destruction if you're rebelling as God's dealing with your pride. Or it will at, at, at least it will cause you to stumble and cause you to fall. There are a, there are, history is full of Christians who have left their, their marks as horrible testimonies because of the destructive power of, of pride. That's what pride will do. But now look at Isaiah 66. And I want you to look at Isaiah 66 by what's implied by what's not there. Isaiah 66. Not only will pride destroy your life, not only could it will make you fall, but this is what pride will prevent you from having. Isaiah 66. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. To he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Now we may read that in the opposite. But this is the one to whom I will not look. 
He who is proud is not broken in spirit and is irreverent towards my word. This is the one that I will look upon. He who is humble, who's broken in spirit and trembles or has affectionate reverence for my word. This is the one that I will not look upon. He who is proud, he who is not broken in spirit, and he who has irreverence for my word. So what we see there is how, how devastating pride will be and can be. And we'll look more of that as we, as we look at the warnings that Solomon will give us. But I want to do that by way of introduction to show you and I that, that pride is a very, very serious issue. And we're going to look at the bad fruit of that and you'll see how bad that is. And I think for the general, uh, in a, in a general concept is pride might be one of those acceptable sins might be one of those tolerable sins that we allow in our lives. And it has so many manifestations that we'll look at that we must guard this with the greatest of earnestness. Because as we mentioned, pride will destroy your life or pride will at least cause you to fall. But above all that, pride will keep you from why you were saved and why you are saved. Pride will keep you from sweet communion with God. You can know, uh, proud people, proud Christians know a lot of theology perhaps. And proud Christians know a lot of truth about God. But proud Christians don't know God. And proud Christians will not walk in an intimate, experiential relationship with Jesus Christ. And the reason why God is so animate against pride, and we'll look at this next week, Lord willing, as he opposes pride. The reason why he is so animate against pride is because what it does to his choice creation. It is, it is the most destructive thing under the sun, right there with the tongue. And so why is that so? And last week, and I want to just do a quick review on this. Last week, as we began this little series on pride, the first thing we did was define it. We defined it. And the biblical definition of pride is a swelling up or a lifting up in an arrogant, conceited way of having an unhealthy, elevated view of oneself. That's what pride does. It blinds you and me to the reality of what we truly are before God. Pride removes any spiritual sensitivity to see us as we truly are before God. And the reason why it is the most ugliest sin is for two reasons. The reason why it is the most ugliest sin, number one, because of what it does. It focuses on oneself, it exalts oneself, it defends oneself, it puts oneself above others, it must express oneself, it refuses correction, it creates high opinions of oneself and low opinions of others, it dominates conversations with self-centeredness, and it remains oblivious to the needs of others. That's how bad pride is. That's the depth of what it, it can do inside the soul that's not been broken by God. But the other reason why pride is so ugly and the worst sin of all is because it could only be remedied by one thing. And that is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. There is no other way that pride can be destroyed. John writes that Christ came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. And the primary work of the devil is pride. And we'll look at that here in a minute. So that's pride defined and why it's so ugly. 
We looked last week also at pride illustrated in the Bible. We looked at three examples, Nebuchadnezzar, Peter, and also we looked at um, Herod. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had a good ending. As you recall, in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar started bragging about his kingdom. He said, look at all the things that I've achieved. And then God sent him out into the wilderness to live like a beast. And he, he come to his own senses. In fact, the scripture reads that Nebuchadnezzar says, And my reason returned to me, and I began to exalt the God who rules over the heavens. And we saw from Nebuchadnezzar the lessons learned about pride. Number one, we easily believe that we're self-made people. We easily believe that what we have and all that we've achieved is by our own, our own efforts. So we, we, that is what Nebuchadnezzar shows us. Nebuchadnezzar shows us also that pr- God deals with pride very forcibly. One day he's in the king kingdom, uh, living the life of the king in the palace. The next day he's eating grass like a beast. So God is very serious about pride. And if you're a child tonight and you're, you're dealing with pride or you're not dealing with pride, God will deal with your pride. He will take you into the grave. He, he will spare you no pain because of the devastating power of pride. That's what we learn from Nebuchadnezzar. We also learn from Nebuchadnezzar that pride is irrational. Actually, all sin is irrational. Sin is insanity because it never does anything good for us. Then we moved into the New Testament and we saw Peter. And Peter in his boastful statements of saying, Lord, I'll never deny you. And then we know what happened. The rooster crowed three times and he did fall. And we learn from Peter that pride will blind you to your own inadequacies. Peter was absolutely convinced that he would stand. He wasn't trying to be a hypocrite. This man was sincere as sincere could be. And yet when he stood tall before the Creator and said, Basically, Jesus, you got this wrong. I'm going to stand by you. It revealed that pride blinds us to our own personal inadequacies. We also saw that pride has a negative influence on others. Because when Peter says, I'll never deny you, all the other guy says, well, we're following him. We're not going to deny you either. And they did. And then the final one we looked at was Herod. And Herod had a bad, bad ending. In Acts chapter 12, we read of Herod standing before the crowd. And he gave a great speech, drawing attention to himself. And the people said, he's a god. And God struck him dead. God will not have any rivals when it comes to the issue of his glory. Now tonight, let's look at uh, four things. I want us to look at... Um, um, the bad fruit of pride. And that will help us to see how, how serious this thing is and how we have to deal with that. Before I do, uh, each of you should have got a little handout here. These were produced by Nancy DeMoss of Walgermuth. The ladies and band of sisters have been studying her stuff. Uh, anything that she writes on revival, I encourage you to read. It's really, really good. Uh, we got this from uh, uh, their ministries and revive our, revive our hearts. This is a wonderful little tool that you can read, and you'll see the comparisons between proud people and broken people. And when I started to read this uh, and started ticking off all the ones that I had, this was heavily uh, slanted to port, meaning that the proud part had a lot more that I saw in me than the broken part. And I think this will be a good tool of self-evaluation, self-examination. So use that as you so desire. But tonight I want us to look at four bad fruits. Four bad fruits of pride because we need to understand how bad it is so that we can do battle against it and so that we can pursue the opposite virtue, which is humility. And without humility, there is no enjoyment of the Lord Jesus. And the thing about pride is, as I mentioned, it's like Joseph's coat of many colors. It has so many different shades. 
once you peel back one layer, is another one and another one and another one. Next thing you know, I mean, this is a big onion. I mean, it's got a lot of layers in it. So, but let's take a look at four things that show us how bad pride really is. And the first one is found in Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 12. The first bad fruit is that pride created the devil. Pride created the devil. Ezekiel 28, 12 through 18. This, has a, one of those dual, this is one of those passages of Scripture that has a dual application. It literally deals with the king of Tyre, or Tyre but it also has the, the spiritual application. This is how the devil became the devil. There's two passages of Scripture in the Old Testament that deals with the fall of, uh, of the angel. Um, the, 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 the son of dawn that we will see in Isaiah and how he became the devil. Ezekiel 28, 12 through 18. There's two things that we want to look at. One's in Ezekiel and one's in Isaiah. Ezekiel 28, 12 through 18. Son of man, rise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, Pay attention to that statement, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Verse 17. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. This is the fall of the angel that became the devil. And the reason why he fell was he was proud of his creation. He was proud of his creation. He boasted of what he did not earn or did not manufacture. And one of the the subtleties of pride in the human being is we can learn or actually look and take credit for something that if we really read the Scripture and we really understand is that everything that you have, everything that you are, everything that you've achieved... Everything comes from the good hand of God. Everything. God has, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, says, what do you have that you did not receive? And the answer is nothing. However, that does not mean we don't work hard. It doesn't mean we don't pursue diligence in all the things that we do. But be very mindful that there's no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. Everything comes from the hand of God. Every single thing. And the devil in, 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 the, in, in the scene of heaven, he became proud of something he did not do. He became proud of his own creation. Now go to Isaiah 14 in verse 12. Here's a second Old Testament scripture describing the, the creation of the devil. 
the subtlety of pride, if you begin to boast in what you have that you did not make, or that you boast of, of who you are and forget it's from the hand of, hand of God, inevitably, it's not going to be enough. Because the Bible tells us in Proverbs that the flesh is never satisfied. You'll always have to something more. There'll always be that other promotion. There'll always be that other raise. There'll always be that achievement. We will constantly find ourselves, if pride is causing us to boast upon ourselves, we'll always get to the point where it's not enough. It's not enough. And that leads to the second reason why the devil became the devil, and that was the sin of discontent. And both of those are the fruits of pride. He first boasted of what he was, thinking it was himself. He was boasting of his beauty, and that wasn't enough. And look at verse 12 of Isaiah 14. How you are fallen from heaven, Lucifer, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Five times we have Lucifer exercising this sinful resolve, I will, I will, I will. This is, as C.S. Lewis says, the very anti-God state of mind. Now, I understand the difficulties in how a created perfect being, the, an- the angel, could become the devil. I, I don't understand that, and n- none of us could. There was a Presbyterian pastor in the Civil War. His name was Thaddeus McRae. He wrote a very fascinating book titled The Existence and Attributes of Satan. And this is what this esteemed Presbyterian pastor said. He penned this concerning the devil's fall. He said, quote, How could a holy angel sin? This question has never been answered. We cannot grasp the conception of a holy nature affecting an unholy thing. And how was that nature so transformed and transgressed? It's what defies our very understanding. An angel one moment, the devil the next. This is the sphinx of history. View the first sin as we may, but it is still a riddle. And it is so because it belongs to the history of heaven. We don't know how this perfect creature could sin in a perfect place. But this is an important lesson. There are things in the Bible that God has chosen not to reveal to us. And he has not called us to understand everything about him or understand his ways. But what he has called us to do is to trust his ways and to trust what he has said. And we have the example of Ezekiel, or I should say the description of Ezekiel and the description of Isaiah, that the devil was so intoxicated with self-conceit, he was so consumed with himself that it led to the fall. And this, my my beloved friends, my brothers and sisters, this is what pride has done. Pride has created the devil. He was proud of who he was, and then it led to a discontent, which is a form of pride, and God severed that. God saw it for what it was, and he, he cast him out, 
and the world has never been the same. And I want to make a comment about the I wills. Do not find yourself digging in your hills and saying, I won't do this or I will do that. That is one of the ugliest things that we can do as Christians. If you're going to use the terms I will, do it in this context. I will follow the Lord Jesus. I will make him my refuge and my strength. All through the Psalms, you see the psalmist exercising godly resolve to say, I will be my, you will be my stay. I will follow you. But never fall in line with the devilish thing of digging your heels in when something doesn't go the way you like or a situation is something that you want changed. Don't take it into your hands and say, I will or I will not. That is a manifestation of ugly pride. We are called to be a submissive people. And submission is bathed in humility. A, a Digging it in, I will, is bathed in devilish pride. And the devil said, I will, I will, I will. And God says, no, you won't. And he became our arch enemy. And he begins in, in the Garden of Eden. And that leads to the second bad fruit of pride. Look at Genesis chapter 1. Pride not only created the devil, it also produced one of the most devastating things of pride, and that is sinful independence. Sinful independence. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Three times we have God's act of creation mentioned here. Why? To establish right out of the gate that we are not the creator. The devil wanted to be the creator. Pride always wants to take charge. Pride always wants to be the creator. And God in the initial creation, he makes it very clear to us, I am God and you are not. And that you are the created being, I am the creator. But here's the wonderful picture of what God has done for us. He created us in his own image. There's a lot to be said about in his image. I've been most helped by Dr. James Boyce and his understanding of what this is. And basically Dr. Boyce says that when we were creating the image of God, he created us to have three capacities like him. Will, intellect, and personality. Will, intellect, and personality. But yet when the devil came in to, to the garden and he tempted our first parents, those were destroyed. Now we had the remnants of that, but will was destroyed. The intellect was, was, is flawed. Everything about you and me is tainted because of the fall. Now look at Genesis 3, 4 through 5, and I want you to see what pride has done to the human existence. Pride created sinful independence. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. You say, Well, I don't see pride there. It is pride. You know why? Because pride produces unbelief. And the devil is getting Eve to not believe God. That's one of the other things about pride. Pride isn't just thinking highly of yourself. Pride has unbelief in it. Pride has all kind of fear in it, all those type of things. But look what happened. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. It sounds like what the devil wanted to do. You will be like God. 
So the devil, when he said that in heaven, he becomes the devil, and now he uses the very same thing to trick our parents, our first parents, and they become just like him. Alienated, separated from God. Now when you read Genesis 3, 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's an invitation to pride. That's an invitation to be on equal footing as the creator. Now really what he was saying, what the devil was saying, this is what his message really was. When you eat it, you will enter into a fearful state of separation and independence from God. That's his real message. And that's why there are scores of people today that are outside of Jesus Christ that are dying and going to hell because they believe the lies of the devil and they live independent lies of God, oblivious to God, and it's all rooted in the evil sin of pride. The reason why people don't come to Christ, it's not because of intellectual hang-ups. Anybody that has even an objective mind and studies the, the historicity of Christ and studies the historicity of Christianity, like Josh McDowell did, who went out to refute the resurrection, but ended up becoming a great apologetist and defending the resurrection because the evidence was overwhelming. Any person that objectively comes to the claims of Christ and studies Christ and studies Christianity, it is never an intellectual problem coming to Christ. It's always a moral problem. It's always a pride issue that keeps people from Christ. And that's what the devil did. He created within us this sinful independence because of pride. Now look at verse 6 of Genesis 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. This nakedness, beloved, was not just physical, it involved their spirit, it involved their emotions. And it created within them a fear. Twice we read, we read here that they tried to hide from God. They were afraid. They were scared. They were in slavish fear. That's what pride does. Pride separates us from God and it creates within us a fear. Edward Welch said this, quote, Authentic humanness was never intended to be autonomous and self-reliant, end quote. Authentic humanist was never intended to be autonomous and self-reliant. Humans are needy by design. You and I were created to be dependent, not independent. We were created by our creator to be needy. Now, if you tell the world outside that we're needy, they're going to call you weak. But the created order is that you and I were designed to be dependent upon God for everything. And our greatest happiness is found in that dependence. Our greatest joy is found in our submission in humble dependency upon God. And that's why the gospel is so glorious. 
Because the gospel of Jesus Christ does what? It slays pride and allows us to enter once again into the humble, dependent relationship we have with our living God. But pride is so bad, it created the devil who then reproduced himself through pride and thus created us to be independent beings. There's a reason why you're afraid. There's a reason why you're fearful about life. It's because we're separated from God. And we're separated from God because of pride. The pride of the devil that was used against our first parents. And it's the pride that keeps us, in many cases as Christians, it's pride that keeps us from walking ever so close to the living God. And we'll talk more about that as we close. Now look at the third fruit. Here's the third fruit of pride. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. This is a very sad one. It certainly was sad that we, created, we, we ended up becoming independent beings. But the third f- bad fruit of pride is one that is extremely sad. And that is it robs God of His glory. It robs God of His glory. I want you to think for a minute. God created us. He didn't need us at all. The Trinity could have existed as it has without us. And there would have been never any less satisfaction. They would have always been as content as they've always been. God did not need to create. He's not a needy God who needs us. He created us out of his pure delight and his pure pleasure. And do you know why he created you and he created me? He created us for two reasons. Number one, that we would reflect his glory. And number two, that we would enjoy him forever. Just think about the sadness of what pride has done. Pride has, number one, it has leveled us so that we can no longer fulfill our created purpose, which is reflecting the glory of God. But the second thing is that pride and the sin of pride, it robs us from the enjoyment of God. It robs us from enjoying God. Do do you enjoy God in your walk with with, with Jesus? And I'm talking about a really live experience. I'm not talking about knowing right doctrine. We're committed to right doctrine. I'm talking about every day, do you walk in the awareness of a living Christ that you can enjoy? In John chapter 17, you know what Jesus prayed? Father, I will that they would be with me where I am so that they might behold my glory. Do you know what that says about Jesus? He longs for our presence. He longs for us to enjoy Him. But pride has robbed us of that. Pride is so subtle and so deep inside of us, it will create a God in our image, or worse yet, it will create a God who exists to serve us. And beloved, we were never, ever created to be the Creator. Pride creates the devil. Pride creates selfish independence. Pride robs God of His glory. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.26. There's two times in the book of Isaiah where God emphatically says, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no one, nor my praise to carved idols. He goes on to say, for my sake, for my own sake I do this. How will my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, verse 31, 
we have here the very reason why God sent His Son. It's so that salvation would be the exaltation and a restoration of a people that were able to reflect His glory once again. Salvation is all about changing us to be glory reflectors once again. Do you see salvation like that? Do I see salvation like that? Do I see that God so loved Jim that he sent his son to die for me so that I could be in union with Christ so that once again I can reflect his glory? That I can show the world that there is a God and that he is so wonderful and so beautiful and so majestic and that he wants to shine that through his redeemed people so that the world will know that he's there? Pride robs us of that. Pride is so ugly in its sinfulness is that it seeks self-glory, not the glory of God. Look what he says in verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. We could basically put a sign on the gospel, proud people need not apply. Proud people not welcome. Self-made men and women not welcome. Those who are are lofty in the world not welcome. Now, I'm I'm not downplaying or I'm not restricting the efficacy of the gospel. But the reason why people don't come to Jesus Christ is not, as I mentioned, it's not an intellectual. It's a moral issue based on the fact that they don't want to be humbled. And no one comes to Christ unless they're humble. Jesus accepts no self-made people. Jesus only, Jesus only accepts those who look at him and say, if you don't save me, I'm done. If you don't do something, I'm done. Where shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. And then look what, and here it it emphasizes that in verse 30. Look what he says. Well, verse 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, of him, God the Father, you are in Christ, who became your wisdom, your righteousness, your sanctification, and your redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The The very opposite of pride is the message of salvation, a lowering of the creature to exalt the redeeming creator. If there's anything of value that I would encourage you with tonight, start looking at your salvation as this, the restoration of your ability to reflect the glory of God wherever you're at. Because that's what salvation is. Salvation is not about you escaping God's wrath primarily. Salvation is not about God coming alongside of you being your helper through tough times in life. Salvation is primarily about God doing an amazing work that no man could ever do to restore his fallen people, fallen by pride, so that they could be humble and once again fulfill their created purpose, which was to reflect the glory of himself. And that is that what makes the Christian life so so exciting and I use exciting in in the right context when I told you this morning wake up wake up tomorrow morning wake up and say I'm resolved to live second coming mentality because if Christ Christ might come today and I want to be found 
profound watching. I would ask you to add this to that. Wake up in the morning and say, Lord, so help me to live as if you were coming today because you might. And in the midst of living that out and all the complexities of my life, let me be a reflector of your glory. Let me fulfill the very thing that pride robbed me from. Let me not be like the devil who digs his heel in with prideful self-will. Let me not live an independent life thinking I'm self-made. Let me live as I was redeemed for, and that is to reflect the glory of your person. Reflect the glory of your person in the way that I speak. Reflect the glory of your person in the way that I serve. Reflect the glory of your person the way that I suffer for your name. Reflect the glory of your person when I interact with people that saved in the unseen. Let people walk away from me saying, that person is different, and it is a good difference. That's the third, third bad fruit of pride. And I hope you see that. I hope you're gripped with the, with the wonders of God's salvation, that He didn't just save you so that you'd miss hell. He didn't save you just so that He'd be alongside of you on this miserable journey to heaven. He saved you that on the journey, you'd be able to reflect His Son everywhere you go in everything you do. If you live that way, beloved, if I live that way, your Christian life is going to be very exciting. And there will be no dull routines. It's okay to have routines in life. I have many routines. I'm a routine. I have routines. It is quite okay to have routines in your life. But it is never right to be routine. There's no time that a Christian should be routine. There's no time. We live, look, look what we got to do. We have to fight a devil. We got to subdue a flesh. We've got to resist the world. We've got to gain grace and not, the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. We've got to be about the business of reflecting His glory. Tell me where there's time to be bored or routine. It's too glorious to be a Christian. There's no time to be bored. There's no time to have, be routine. Why? Because we're on mission. We're on a mission that God has restored us to reflect His glory throughout the land in which you and I walk. Here's the final thing. Look at 1 Timothy 3, 6. Pride is very ugly, and it produces some very bad fruit. It created the devil. It produced sinful independence. It robs God of his glory. And it remains Satan's chief tactics against believers. Pride is the chief tactic, I believe, against believers. 1 Timothy 3, 6. Paul warns Timothy about putting men in positions of spiritual leadership when they're novices. He says, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up, full of pride, and fall into the condemnation of the devil. The phrase condemnation of the devil, it literally translates the judgment of the devil. It infers to the devil's demotion from the high angel to the devil and his fall due to pride. And the application is here, is be very careful who we put in spirit positions of spiritual leadership. Make sure that they've proven tested. Make sure that they have the marks of character, in particular the marks of humility. Don't put them in a position where they can be puffed up by the devil and thus fall, because when a leader falls, the damage is wide. We read, sadly, way too many times in contemporary Christianity of pastors and leaders falling 
whether it's immorality, whether it's just Lord, uh, uh, bad leadership, whatever. Pride always is a root of that. Remember we read in, uh, in Proverbs 16, 18? Pride comes before destruction. Pride leads to a fall. Guys that fall in positions of leadership, it's always going to be traced back to pride. And guys in your homes as husbands and fathers, your failures are going to be rooted in your pride. Wives, your failures are going to be rooted in your pride. Christian, your failure in your testimony is going to be rooted in pride. Why is that so? Why is that so? And why does the devil use pride? Because here's what pride does. I already mentioned all this stuff at the very beginning, but I want you to think about it in the context of relationships. Marriages are destroyed. Family relationships are strained. Churches are, 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 are dis- dysfunctional or go through strife and split. All because of pride. Pride says, I'm right, you're wrong, you get it right. Pride says, I don't, will not forgive you. Pride says, you owe me. Pride says, I, my rights. Pride does all that, and that's of the devil. The devil says, I won't forgive. The devil says, it's your fault. The devil points the finger of accusation. And when it comes back to us, it is the tactic of pride in us. Christians should be the most submissive and willing to forgive and quick to forgive people under the sun. Why? Because we've been forgiven much. The audacity in my life not to forgive any and everything done to me when I look at how much I've sinned against the Lord Jesus. When I look at how much I have sinned against my God, and you know what my God does? He looks at me and says, come. Come, be restored. And the devil will use pride. And here's the final thing, and I'll close with this. The devil will use pride in believers' relationships by creating self-righteousness. It will create within you and me this self-righteousness. It's all her fault. It's all his fault. It's all the leader's fault. It's all this. And you remain oblivious to your own sin. You remain oblivious to the very thing that Jesus Christ delivered you from. And so pride, it has a lot of bad fruits. But that's the four that really is enough to really cause us to think about it. Pride creates the devil. Pride produces self-independence, sinful independence. Pride robs God of his glory And pride is a chief tactic in our relationships. It keeps us from reconciliation, not only vertically, but horizontally. Lord willing, next week we're going to look at the attitudes and the actions of the Lord against pride. We'll look at how he hates it. We'll look at how he declares pride his enemy. And then we'll look how the Lord attacks pride. It'll show us what he thinks of it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you didn't leave us in our pride, that you've allowed, you've, you've sent your son so that we could be freed from this devilish, devilish disease. And Lord, may you help us. May you help us to see it for what it is. May you give us discernment in our daily lives to fight against this thing that keeps us from you and, and that we would be this humble people, the humble people that you said in Isaiah that if we're that, you would fellowship with us. And there's no sweeter thing that we can have now and for eternity than to be in a close, real, effectual, affectionate experience with you. 
So help us, Father, to do battle against the pride that dwells within, that we may indeed dwell closer to you in the sweet fragrance of Christ's humility. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.